My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 95 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! How's it going, listeners? What's going on? Oh, wow. It has been a bit, but we're excited to be virtually together for your enjoyment. For your listening pleasure. Yeah. I we, we, yeah. We, What's weird is we've actually gotten together in, in real life now twice and not recorded. That never happens for us. Yeah, I also forgot to get a T-shirt from you that I left in the back of your car. Oh, is that what the that was the T-shirt that was on the box? I thought you were going to put it in. I thought you put it. Yeah, in the house. I was like going to put it in the house, and I didn't. Uh, listeners, Liam and I hung out, and it was awesome, and I was so psyched, and we ate Bear Burger. It was so good. I had never had Bear Burger. Oh, it's man. a little. It's a little on the. If you're a burger purist, all right. Okay, it's it plays fast and loose with the word if, burger. I'm just, I'm I'm just saying, yeah. If you're a burger pure, if you're one of these people that's like the traditional burger is the best burger there is, <laughs> this is not the place for you. But if you're like, hey, what if I had like a bison burger and I wrapped it in kale? Well, kale. not kale. Was it kale collard or was it greens. collard greens? And yeah. I got all kinds of crazy weird bacons and sauces on it. Then this is the place for you. It was very good. I super very much fun, enjoyed super my fun. Burger. Yeah, we did that right before we went to a screening of Pet Cemetery. One of the many things we'll be covering on this glorious episode of Cinepunks. But what are we of talking episode about? Episode 95 of Cinepunks. Oh, I'm glad you remembered to say it because I don't know if that's good. I said it at the, at the top. I okay, said I wanted to make too. sure, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Maybe a little redundant, but I'm sure no one minds. And this episode is a tribute to who? What are we doing? What are we doing? We are doing our Larry Cohen episode. Now, uh, you, if you're a listener to Horror Business, you know me and Justin did an episode of Horror Business uh, where we talked about Larry Cohen movies, but that was just like a dipping our toe in, and at the time, Larry Cohen was alive, so it was, seemed a little less uh, you know, uh, current, but we, when, when Larry Cohen passed away, we thought, we haven't really talked about his movies on, on Cinepunks, and honestly, he's done a lot of different kinds of stuff, so you know, let's jump into something. Yeah. Uh, and so and this episode, he's also... He's also personal friends with uh, your favorite, Liam O'Donnell. Stop it. So we'll get into that story in a second here. But we're going to be covering Black Caesar and uh, God Told Me To. God Told Me To. Oh, man. What a movie. Mm-hmm. I think there are two movies that kind of show a little bit of the breadth of uh, Cohen's filmography. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Cohen, his career. I also asked a question on Instagram for people to let me know what their favorite Larry Cohen movie is. Uh, so uh, we'll see if there's any responses to that. I think right now the only response is Justin Lore, but we'll see if anyone else got back to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I social just, media, baby, social media. <laughs> I know we are. We're so good at. We are. We're so, so good, good at. We're so good at it. Side note: um, If you're good at social media, send us an email. Cinepunks <laughs> at gmail dot Side note: We're totally joking when we say we're totally good at it. We're so bad. It's it's not. We're so thing. not good at it. Yeah, it's so. We're too old. We're too I, old. No, I try. I try, but it's just like Liam's oh. Twitter is always popping. That's for sure. But. Uh, as far as us being a communal social media leg, not so good. I don't think my Twitter's I don't think my Twitter is popping. I don't think it's quite lit as the as the kids say. 
<laughs> I don't understand these words you're using. <laughs> so, uh, what? wait, which episode is this? 96? 95, man. 95. So, uh, episode 95 is brought to you, as all of our episodes are brought to you, by our lovely supporters at Patreon. We just posted our first Patreon exclusive content. Actually, wow. I can go ahead and say this. By the time this episode airs, we will have... Two pieces of Patreon exclusive content. One is the Q&A from our Starfish, our screening that we hosted, which we're going to talk about in Whackin' on Track. Another is a special episode from the uh, folks at Wine and Cheese. I'd love to tell you what they did, but I, I don't know. They just sent it to me. I don't know what it is yet. I haven't listened to it. <laughs> I literally have no idea what I'm about yeah, to Yeah, we love those guys so much. We love those dudes so much. I want to say thank Joey you. Joey and Mike, love you guys so much. So we're in the midst of, of thanking our Patreon supporters. Let me finish that. Thank you. Right, uh, that. We have some new supporters on Patreon. Thank you for supporting us. Please tell your friends about uh, the show and about um, our Patreon. And uh, without your support, we wouldn't be able to. Well, I just I just don't make enough money to run this thing as a as a <laughs> as a just a loss. So I need to be able to like pay for our hosting fees at minimum. So uh, <laughs> at minimum, yeah. So I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, and we appreciate that. And then we also want to say, I, I personally want to thank the Wine and Cheese guys. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened yet to Wine and Cheese, they had me on recently to talk about uh, Me Without You's album Brother Sister and the movie The The New Kids, which is uh, Sean S. Cunningham, director of Friday the original Friday the 13th. Uh, I, I've only seen a few Sean S. Cunningham movies, uh, but in my experience, The New Kids is the only other good one than Friday the 13th. <laughs> he just has the two. Um, but I don't know. Maybe there's one I haven't seen yet. But that's the, of the ones I've seen. Those are the, those are two good ones. So it was it was great to be on there, and I just really appreciate them. Like they are so easy to talk to, especially Mike Paulshock. He's the nicest guy ever. <laughs> Joey, they're they're all good, but I mean Mike, come on, everyone. Loves Mike. <laughs> come on, you love that, Mike. Just say, just say you. Love I love Mike. Mike. What? I love Mike, but I love Joey too. I love everyone equally because I am, uh, you know, benevolent uh, podcast guy. <laughs> I know you're lying and you like Mike more. I, I just know that that's true. I'm just saying I played a show with one of those guys. <laughs> that's my dude. Just saying. But anyway, we also want to thank our sponsors at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, if you are looking to get anything screen printed, maybe you need uh, a dad koozies. koozies. Maybe you need sweatpants. Yeah, with oh, your man. logo on them. I mean, I was thinking we need a full Cinepunk sweat outfit. Oh man, I will totally go basketball jersey and shorts. <laughs> Cinepunk's champion gear. That's right, Ch- champion. <laughs> Champions. Um, whatever it is that you need screen printed, they or buttons printed. Uh, LVAC has you covered. Uh, go check out their website xlvacx.com, uh, and they will uh, help you out. They are very professional, but also very personable. They do amazing work. Uh, we get all our stuff printed there, and I think that you should check it out at the very minimum. Follow them on Instagram because Chris posts a lot of cool stuff, and I appreciate that. And they always have cool jobs that they're doing, and shirts always look so good. So. Big up to XLVACX.com and Chris and company. You guys are awesome. Uh, I think this summer, too, they're doing another one of those Let's Hang Out where they combine super indie wrestling with uh, music. I don't think they've booked it Uh, yet, but they've announced that it's coming up this summer, so you should check it out. Well, maybe some Cross Keys, uh, if Chris wouldn't mind having a a little local little band called the Cross Keys come play. Yeah, yeah, Chris, what's up? I know you listen to the show. What's up, man? Make it happen, punk. 
I like how it's we okay went from promoting his show. business to like challenging to him. talking shit. Yeah, no. Come on, you little. Yeah, it's cool, man. You little <laughs> jerk hole. <laughs> how about that? That was very, uh, very have, nice. Very you, kind. You smudge bucket. <laughs> huh? Wow. So uh, now that we've got all the the perfunctory things out of the way, we thank the people who need to be thanked. We uh, <laughs> joked around a little bit. We let people know what episode we were on what number episode this was now it's right. time Couple for times. for our most important patented uh a world famous world segment. famous set copyrighted segment copywritten segment whack it on track, track. <laughs> oh jacob you're gonna have to fix that in post that's gonna have to fix no that's not fine just just leave it actually just leave it the way it is it's i think it was it. it was fine it was authentic you know what i mean i'll take authentic authentic i know i worry so that I, I worry that jacob doesn't actually edit out anything that like we just assume he's editing everything and i listen I'm to like so into the that, first though. chug I'm so into that and then somewhere in the middle like we're like burping and farting and calling people bad words and he's just like yeah it works that leave it it's raw man we're here for the raw podcast verite podcast verite yeah that's really really good podcast verite uh yeah whacking on track what's up this is also by the way by the way guys this is also how me and josh catch up with each other because like this is how we like pay attention to each other's lives is like what have you done interesting that you want to tell me about that's interesting well, funny you should mention, Liam, some of us pay attention to other people's social media presence, which is how I know your your Twitter's always popping, man, because I pay attention to you. That's also despite, how I know your Twitter's never distance. popping. Yeah, I know. Mine's really bad. I mean, I, think cool, you, I like that you go on there when you're just annoyed with life and just complain. Yeah. So that's amusing <laughs> for me. I don't know if that'll gain you many followers, but who cares? There's only there's only a couple followers that I care about, you being one of them. Just saying. I appreciate you know. that. I appreciate that. But anyway, so what have you done, Liam? Well, let's. I, I, whack I, I'm still and sh- or on track. I'm still trying to think of things that I solely have done. So let's mention some of the things we've done together. One okay. we alluded to earlier was our uh, screening of Starfish, huh? Oh man, dude, that was one of the greatest nights of my life. I'm glad you I, feel that way. I mean, like honestly, that was one of the greatest weekends of my life. I had a really awesome weekend that weekend. And uh, that was like the perfect cherry on top of uh, two days of excellence for me. Let's cover that. So, whole, let's cover that whole weekend for you, and then we're, we'll jump into that that screening and whatever, whatever. What what happened for you that weekend? So that weekend, Cross Keys played our first show outside of the New Jersey Philadelphia area, and we played in Brooklyn Saturday night at Gold Sounds, and uh, we played with our friends in Herjaza, which is my friend Frank Staplefeld. If you uh, remember the band Murdoch. From uh, Long Island, um, he was singing for that band. He's part of the whole CR crew. Uh, the, I think their drummer was the Most Precious Blood. All these like kinds of you know heralded New York bands. But we played with them. We played with another band called Chilton. That was really awesome. Their drummer was a singer. Um, and we played with After the Fall, who are from Albany, upstate New York. So it was a pretty good bill. It was pretty fun playing outside of like you know where we're used to playing and all that stuff, and it was cool. And then the next day, we played with one of my most favorite bands, Strike Anywhere, at the Neshaminy Creek Brewing um, at the brewery in Croton, Pennsylvania. And um, it was one of those cathartic moments where uh, I managed to sing for a band that I've been a fan of for 20 years. And like, you know, that I've been friends with those guys for like a long time. And, uh, you know, we've always chatted up whenever they've been in town and all that stuff. And it's always really fun. And it was pretty interesting to hear, 
hear Thomas and Garth be like, yo, I didn't know you could sing. And I was like, ah, yes, I can. Still debatable, but thank you for the compliments. <laughs> and uh, it was just one of those things, man. Like, you know how it is when someone tells you how much they like the art that you make and it's someone that you look up to and you like are way into. And like, no, I, I've never had those... that experience, so I don't know about that. Oh man, you should try it sometime. It's really cool. Yeah. But uh, so so Thomas is one of those dudes that like I've been a fan of his since uh, Inquisition, and like you know they're one like the first tattoos I ever got was the Inquisition heart and all that stuff. You know what I mean? And uh, we've been friends for a while through my friend Joe Operhall and Anna Hartle, and um, you know we've corresponded and just been homies. You know what I mean? And after our set, he came up to me and he was just like, "Yo, man, your lyrics are beautiful, but not as beautiful as your voice." And I never knew that that could come out of you. And uh, I just started crying. He hugged me. <laughs> He's like a four foot tall white dude with dreadlocks. He gave me a hug. And I definitely wept into his dreadlocks because of uh, the kind words that he was saying to me. So that happened. And then we followed that up with our beautiful screening of Starfish at the Rotunda in beautiful West Philly with director Al White in attendance. And let me tell you, man, it's so awesome watching Justin Lore get down with something yes. that he truly does love. I mean, like, it, the movie was amazing and mind-bending. I really loved the movie, and I really enjoyed talking to everybody. But watching Justin go off on a movie that he loves so much, that, to me, was the most perfect part of the evening. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, so, you know, I, our, my biggest thank you is to Yellow Vale for hooking us up and to the Rotunda for hosting us. Um, but also, thanks to everyone who came out. Um, not everyone who came out listens to horror business, I think. So I thank people on there already, but I just want to say on here too, in case this is the only, you know, one you listen to, uh, thank you for coming out. Thank you everyone who posted about the event. Um, but I think we, you know, me and Justin and Josh all want to say thanks to Al, you know, he showed up at this weird crumbly venue. We're doing, you know, the audio is not quite 5.1. You know, this, the, the situation is real unorthodox. We're in a room where I watched a guy jerk off during Rocket from the Crypt. Where which, I thought I got my nose broken during American Nightmare. Yeah, we're in a room <laughs> where I saw Adam and his package cover no less than six Mountain Goat songs for no Amazing. reason. It's so weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's not exactly your average cinema experience. And Al was stoked on it. There was no... I mean, I think he. this is one of the better shows uh he's had was with us and just yeah. getting to hang out with him and we're all weirdos and he was very cool with us and you know he was know. Uh, very much of our tribe i felt there's definitely like a sense in which we were trying to be hospitable to him but also he was open to that he was open to us trying to do what little we could on a monday night to make it a good night a good night for him and for us so um josh i want to hear a little bit more what did you what did you think of the movie and because uh, i know me and justin have already talked about it a good deal on on harvest the movie was so beautifully shot and uh it's right up my alley it's massively depressing um but it's also ethereal and it feels like a movie out of time you know what i mean like it's got this own sense of its own um mythology and uh, i really really loved it i thought that um just the way he executed some of the emotional notes were very effective. And then using music in addition to the storyline to tell this story, even though he didn't actually like use like song song kind of things, you know what I mean? Like it still was very much the kind of movie that I'm totally here for. So I really loved it. I thought it was uh, shocking. I thought it was uh, brutal, but I also thought it was uh, gorgeous and I thought it was beautiful. I really, really loved it. I'm so glad. Um, I mean, if you hadn't, 
liked the movie, that would have been okay. Uh, you know, yeah. Al was very clear. Not everyone's going to like the movie. And, uh, you know, I very much appreciate the people who came out to check it out who didn't necessarily like the movie. Uh, that, yeah. That's fine. I'm glad that you were willing to come out and see it and be a part <laughs> of it. Um, but I'm glad that you liked it because I'm like, I feel good that I got to bring that into your life. Yeah, man, dude. And, like, there are people there from D.C., there are people there from a certain breakfast club. It was <laughs> there was a bunch of uh, wildly diverse people there, and sure. uh, I really also appreciate uh, people coming and talking to us at the table where we were selling the shirts and stuff. And it, uh, it's funny because you know you do things like a podcast, and you feel as though like uh, I, I don't know about you, Liam. I mean, like you definitely get a lot more response from like general public than I do. But I oftentimes I feel like I'm just like kind of shouting into the void kind of thing. You know what I mean? And uh, people coming up to me and just talking to me at the show, at the screening, and just being like, hey, man, that was awesome, and I really like listening to you and Liam talk and all that stuff, that definitely hit me like right in the heart piece, man. That was awesome. So thank you to the people who reached out and were uh, happy to talk to me in person. <laughs> it was I, nice I, to see and hear your voice. I definitely agree with you. I will say I want to encourage people to hit us up on social media more. I think we actually have more listeners than we have social media audience, which I get like... Uh, I don't know that everyone who likes the show is like a big social media person. And, you know, we've already said that we're really bad at our social media. So I totally understand <laughs> that. But feel free to hit us up, especially if you want to talk about stuff. If you want to ask us questions, you want to make a comment, you want to like insert your opinion into something. Uh, that's what that's for. And then Josh, you know, I'll, I'll try to encourage him to pay a little more attention to that, too. So that's not just me replying to you, but <laughs> Josh can be a part of those conversations, too. Um, I, I will Speaking say, of which... Another thing that happened also, aside from the starfish thing, is that uh, Cross Keys opened up a show for Mr. Dave Hawes last Thursday. And um, it was a boot and saddle. It was really fun. And um, a gentleman named Tony from uh, Los Banditos Pictures, they came up to me after our set and was like, hey, you're the Cinepunks guy. So I just want to give a shout out to him. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a strange sensation when, when the streams cross, right? When people come to shows and are like, wait a minute, I think I listen to your podcast. Or, you know, when people who listen to the show realize, like, wait a minute, I think I listen to your band. Like, that shit is weird to me. Like, dude, way left field. But uh, thank you for uh, coming up to me, Tony, and saying hi, because uh, that really means a lot to me. And uh, let's be friends. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> oh, okay. So let me Sorry. get into some other things that we did together. I want to. Oh, uh, right, 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 right. Sorry. We also managed to go see Pet Cemetery. Uh, I actually wrote a, a article about or a review of it that it managed to get up. Not really before the movie came out, but at least like within that time period. I haven't managed to go to an advanced screening and then get a review out in probably like five years. So I was really <laughs> glad that I got to do that. And I got some positive response from my review. Uh, it's nothing deep. You know, there's not much, I think, deep to say about it. I will say, uh, for those of you who don't feel like going to read my review, here's here's basically my my review. It's, it's not good, um, <laughs> but it's not bad. I mean, I think you should have a pretty low bar when it comes to Stephen King movies, actually. I think the majority of them are pretty bad. And I think yeah, people have, have rose-colored glasses about the original. I think the original is super creepy. It has some really effective, creepy moments. But overall, it kind of doesn't work. Um, and it's not one of my favorite horror movies or anything like that. But I have a nostalgia for it because it was on cable a lot, and I would watch it a good deal on cable. Um, and I really think there are certain things about it that I love. This movie yeah. changes things, which I think some people are bummed about. 
I was stoked on the changes. I was excited for the changes, but then I don't feel like the changes did anything meaningful in any particular way. And that was upsetting to me. I wanted the changes to matter more. I wanted the movie to be funny enough longer because I didn't feel like I got to know the characters enough to care about what was happening to them. Um, and I, I, uh, I didn't like, there's a couple of moments that I think I might be reading this into the movie, but there's a couple of moments I thought really only work if you've seen the other movie. Oh, like what parts? When Judd comes in and kicks the bed. Oh yeah. 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 And that whole scene. Yeah. I feel like that whole thing is like, you know we're gonna cut his foot. You know we're gonna cut the foot. But what are we gonna <laughs> you know do? We're it? getting that Achilles tendon. Yeah, just you know win. we're gonna do it. But when's it gonna happen? And we're gonna play. I don't like that. I think like for some people that was cool or funny, and I did not think that was funny. I also thought no. like we all knew uh, uh, it was stupid to put the change in the trailer. Uh, there's a major plot change for those of you who haven't heard about it yet. There's a major plot change. I won't tell you what it is. Yes, I will. I don't care. Uh-huh. It's in the trailer. They, it's the 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 girl dies instead of Gage. The daughter Ellie dies instead of the three or toddler Gage. The movie hints that it's going to be after putting it in the trailer. Which one of them dies? The sequence is set up where it could have been the one, but it turns out to be the other. Uh, Why? That's stupid. I think they do that because of the other movie, and I and it's it doesn't need to be. It's. I thought that whole sequence was cornball. Was real cornball. How, yeah. All, all that being said, there's other things I like about the movie. It's just the whole movie I didn't love. I felt as though um, it fixed a lot of weird problems in the first one. Like in the first, in the original version of this movie, there's like this huge tonal shift in the second act that just makes the thing just seem real like wonky and put together like inappropriately. You know what I mean? Like just poorly. And they fix that. But the problem is with fixing it, it makes it really boring. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, I mean, the movie doesn't really start. The movie barely starts until the like cat an is hour dead. in, yeah, dude. And it even when the cat forever. is dead, the whole sequence with burying the cat is so fucking boring. It's yeah. so boring, and it doesn't make sense. Like you really need to believe that Chud loves Ellie enough to, to do this thing, and they don't. He's just like, oh, the cat's dead. Well, I guess we'll go to the scary yeah i guess place. we're gonna go all the way to the place where things that are bad happen and he seems yeah, to care so little when it happens that then later when he's totally like oh no we shouldn't have done that thing it's like what do you mean this was your what are you talking about buddy <laughs> this, this is, is totally idea. your idea yeah 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 it, yeah i i would agree to that i would agree to that it was not my favorite i will say oh so. man i could get into the the it, it's one of those movies where when it ended i wasn't mad or anything but when i think about the movie i start to like Cri- not criticize, but you know what I mean? Like critically think about the movie. I yeah. keep coming up with things I didn't like about it. So I think that's the best way to describe it is like it, that it doesn't all work, but it wasn't not entertaining per se. Like it wasn't like the whole time. There were moments it. where when we were freaked out and we were oh, yeah. and like, that was fun. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like there's some things that they added that weren't in the original that I thought were that added to the general sense of terror. But overall, yeah. I mean, I'm glad I saw it, but I'm, I'm also probably not going to watch it again. Um, as far as things, you know, like I said, I was I was mostly thinking of things we did together. I realized I did I have watched a few movies, which I haven't had a chance to talk about. Um, I watched uh, that movie Tyrell. You know about this movie? No. So Tyrell was directed by director Sebastian Silva. You might know him from such movies as Nasty Baby, ah. uh, Crystal Fairy, and Magical and the Magical Cactus. Oh man! Uh, the maid, uh, old cats. No, have you seen any of these movies? 
I've seen uh, Crystal. What was that one called? Crystal Fairy and the Magical Cactus. Yeah, I saw that one. Tyrell is the same sort of. I actually liked that movie a good deal. I really liked Nasty Baby a lot. Character-driven, awkward movie, but it has a lot more dread. I mean, it seems like Silva's big thing is like telling stories about people who are kind of like naturally outsiders. Uh, and in uh. this situation, Tyrell is a bit of an outsider. And there's two reasons he's an outsider. On one hand, he's an outsider because he goes to this reunion weekend for basically he wants to get out of the house and he has a friend who is going to this weekend of his his like close friends. And so Tyrell is like, oh, I'll tag along for that. And the guy, yeah, this will be fun, whatever. Um, and so that's already awkward, especially it's like an all dudes weekend and they're getting drunk and they're doing whatever. Uh-huh. But then also Tyrell is the only oh, I keep saying Tyrell. My bad. This is a microaggression I'm doing. The guy's name is Tyler. And the name of the movie is because this is one of the jokes. He's the only uh, black man on a trip of a bunch of white dudes. And the whole movie is about all these microaggressions against him, including he says his name is Tyler. And one of the guy goes, oh, hey, Tyrell. Wow. And that's the, the whole movie. And I, the thing about it is uh, – it for me, and I think for a lot of people, has this continuing mounting sense of dread that something horrible is going to happen. But uh, but that's not what the movie is at all. Actually, it's just uh, you know an awkward weekend. Things are hard. Uh, Tyler gets too drunk and makes a little bit of an ass of himself. But also, all these dudes he's hanging out with are kind of shitty. Uh, it's really about a movie. It's really a movie about racism that isn't about straight up racist which i think sounds awesome which i think is important because whenever we watch a movie about racism it's always like white supremacists you know what i mean it's like over the top and it doesn't focus on like the microaggressions like the weird little things this is a movie where a bunch of like trump hating white liberals do mildly annoying things to tyler and tyler who's already in an awkward situation deals with it by getting a little too drunk and maybe making an ass of himself. And and that assness wouldn't even be that big a deal if he wasn't the one... Bl- you know what I mean? Like, any one yeah, of these yeah, dudes yeah. makes an ass of himself on a weekend with a bunch of friends, but he doesn't know them that well, and he feels awkward because they're all so rich and white, and it's like there's a bunch of stuff sort of roiling under the surface. And, and it's the same sort of movie he's made in a lot of other ways about people for whom race wasn't the thing but for him that's what it was. i mean he didn't just happen to make a movie about this he wanted to make a movie that had all his same themes of awkwardness and alienation but wasn't about people who are awkward and alienated because they're weirdos or because they're you know have social issues but mm-hmm. someone who's having it forced on them because of society and that's really what this is this should be a movie in which i mean you could argue this is a movie in which nothing happens i would argue that that's not true but this mm-hmm. should be a movie in which nothing happens only tyler's not white that's the thing right. that happens wow. he's not he's not white and that makes all these things that should just be normal feel real awkward and real tense and more so for americans i watched an interview with the director and he was like you know, Europeans think this movie is like kind of tense, but mostly funny. And Americans think this movie is like uh, a slightly less scary get out is Michael Sarah, And oh. but like, you know, that wasn't his goal. He wasn't trying to make a horror movie uh, in the movie. Jason Mitchell, who you might know from um, 
uh, Straight Outta Compton, uh, Caleb Landry Jones, who was in Get Out, uh, Christopher Abbott, who I think used to be on Girls, uh, and Dowd has a very good cameo, as does uh, Reg E. Kathy, and uh, who else is in this? Uh, Roddy Bottom. Anyways, it's good. It's it's like I said, it's tense, but it's not tense. <sighs> It's not tense like because at any moment they're going to murder Tyler or Tyler's going to murder one of them, which is how right. we usually think of movies that are tense. Uh, two more really quick, and then I want you to get on yours. Uh, <laughs> I watched, finally watched Anna and the Apocalypse. Uh, oh, how was it? That's the musical, right? I, I loved it. I, br- I bring it up only – I'm sure lots of people already know it's great, so I'm not saying anything new. But for those of you who, for whatever reason, haven't given it a chance yet, I just want to encourage you to do that. If if a musical – a British musical about zombies sounds good, I think um, <laughs> I think it's uh, – as far as a musical, it's in the style of high school musical. It's very poppy. So if that gets on your nerves, that might be a bad call. Uh, and it's very much more of a musical than a zombie movie, even though there's some awesome bloodiness to it. I think, uh, I think it's not that scary. It's really just a setting for a musical. So – I'm okay with that. I thought that was great, but I could see where that might not be your bag. And if it's not, then, you know, maybe don't check it out. Maybe skip it. And then I, uh, but I thought it was hilarious, by the way. Uh, and I finally saw The Favorite, which I had not gotten a chance oh. to see. Uh, yeah, I'm, I haven't seen that yet either. Oh, dude. Yo. Yeah. Get I like that favorite. Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, Yorgos Lanthimos, I mean, I've only seen three of his movies, but those three, Dogtooth, the lobster awesome and uh awesome. the killing of a sacred deer killing a sacred deer yeah great all three of those movies are magic now i hear he's done good movies before Dogtooth. i just haven't a chance to watch him yet but just <laughs> on those three i'm like amazing watch the favorite and it's definitely not as overtly psychotic as those three movies it's not quite yeah. the what am i watching and why am i watching it sort of craziness oh man but it's still so good and the performances it's it's like almost like He's one of the few people who, by restraining himself, it almost feels more crazy in a way, if that makes sense. Because suddenly, yeah, we're, in a, suddenly we're in a world of rationality, so then the, some of the crazy stuff that people do in that world is even more like, what is happening? I don't understand. <laughs> so I very much liked it. I thought it was amazing performances. I'm sad I didn't see it in a theater when it was still a relevant thing in the theaters, but I'm glad I got to catch it. Uh, that about does it for me i guess i will mention um uh I, i've mentioned this other places but i just want to bring it up again the new solange record kind of came out to little fanfare people don't and care. you are loving that record it's so good <laughs> and the videos have been good um you know i just i think people need to give it a give it a fair fair shake uh, and I also like the new songs from uh, that band Fury. I like the new Fury songs, but the album's not out yet. So I'm hoping that rest of the album is as good as the new songs. That's it. That's all I got. What about you, Josh? Nice. So uh, on track, I uh, I played that record release show for a fellow cinephile and writer for Cinema 76, Andrew Friedman. Uh, he's in a band called Baker Man. And uh, Aspect Ratio was supposed to open that show. Uh, it was a boot and saddle. But unfortunately, my uh, bandmate Carly got sick that day and she could not play, so I had to play solo. And um, I mean, I held it down, Liam. It was cool. I, mean, I would have preferred to have. I would have preferred to have because we had a whole thing planned, and you know, kind of. It unfortunately, she was so ill that she couldn't. She couldn't come make it out, so I had to do it on my own. Couldn't do all the gimmick stuff that I that I had planned. 
But um, it was a really fun show, and uh, there was a moment in the in the show during my set when uh, I was about to play a Jawbreaker cover, and I was like, "So, anyone go see Jawbreaker last week? Because they just had played Philly, and like literally almost everybody I knew was at that show." And nobody at this show was at the Jawbreaker show. So it was like actual cricket sounds. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable. And um, yeah, so I still play the Jawbreaker song, though, anyway, so I don't care. But uh, it was a really fun night. And uh, our, the uh, I Like the Movie Movie guys came out, Dan, uh, Scully, and Garrett. And it was pretty awesome seeing them. And, they, you know, it's funny when you know people from, like, um, the movie scene, but they don't know that you're a singer or like the, they don't know the punk rock world that you also inhabit. So seeing them there and being able to perform for them meant a lot to me as well. So that was cool. And then, like like I said, a couple days later, I played there with Cross Keys. And it was funny, too, because it was the same sound guy. So the dude was like, weren't you here a couple days ago? And I was like, yeah, man, nice to see you again. You know what's coming. And uh, so we got to open for Hawes and... I don't know if you know my history with Hawes, but uh, I'd played his first solo show in 09, in March of 2009. So Yeah, I think um, I remember that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, he and I had been friends for a very long time because he was in a band called Step Ahead, which was, uh, like, my favorite Philadelphia hardcore band back in the day. And my friend Dave Adoff, who's in Cross Keys with me now, he played bass in that band. So, like, I followed them around. They're, like, my favorite band. And um, so it was really cool to finally get to play with Hawes, like, now that he's got this new record coming out and... You know, it's it was pretty awesome. It was a really fun experience. So that was definitely on track. And then um, I saw Shazam with Melani, and that was oh, awesome. How was Did that? you see it yet? No, I haven't had a chance it, to it's, go. It's definitely got like a two hour and like fifteen minute runtime or something like that. Like it's over two hours long. Felt like a heartbeat. Like it was super fun. It's everything that you want in an origin superhero story. It's got a lot of colors. It's beautiful. It's really fun. It's it's pops. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of pop to it. It has um, just enough humor and just enough uh, peril that you don't think that he's just going to be this invincible thing, whatever. And um, I thought it was really really fun. I really enjoyed it a lot. And um, I I was I saw it in 3D. Uh, I don't know if you necessarily have to see it in 3D for it to to have like the same impact, but um, it was a, it was pretty cool. It looked really really good. You know. And um, I really enjoyed it. It was also on the day that Melani had her last class before she takes her final summer course for uh, her capstone project for her MBA. So by the end of the summer, she'll have her MBA. So but that cool. was like her Congrats. last classroom class. Yeah, it was pretty awesome because like she got out of class and we were all psyched and went to the movies, had dinner. Like it was really, really cool. So, um, so yeah, so I did that. And um, I did see Jawbreaker finally for... After being a fan of Jawbreaker for my entire life, I, I managed to see him when they played here at the uh, Franklin Hall. And uh, that place still sounds terrible, but it was really fun seeing Jawbreaker with everybody. I still so, haven't even um, been in there. Yeah, man, it's weird in there. It's going to change. I mean, it looks smaller. I don't know what they did, but uh, it was fun. It was cool. Um, War on Women opened and uh, this other band from Florida from the 90s called Pogo were the opening band. And they were really good, too. And um, they had a split with Grade back in the 90s. But, uh, yeah, it was really fun. It was, a, it was a good show. And Jawbreaker, really good. They didn't play a couple songs that I hoped to hear. Like, they didn't play Jinx Removing. They didn't play Bad Scene. They, they, but they played, like, you know, I, I, I heard, got to hear Shield Your Eyes live. And I got to hear uh, um, Save Your Generation. Like, all those songs. And 
Boat Dreams on the Hill. Like, it was cool just seeing those songs played live, given that I never thought I was ever going to see that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's definitely one of those reunions that I was, like, super-duper pumped on. So, yeah, so that's about it. Whack, but also kind of on track, is that today I got to go to the Finery with my friend Mike DC, who sings to the band Damnation AD, and he is uh, doing a new endeavor of tattoo removal. So he is currently apprenticing and like he has to do so many hours before like he gets a certification or whatever. So he was like, yeah, if you have any tattoos, you want to get removed, of which I have many. Uh, He was like, come on down. So I went down today and he uh, zapped with a laser my arm on some uh, crappy tattoos that I was hoping to have removed. And it did not feel good, Liam. It hurt. It hurts. No, it hurts a lot. That's real painful. Yeah. It's actually not so fun at all, turns out. But um. You know, I sat like a rock. I did pretty good. Mike was impressed. And uh, it's only going to take 19 more treatments for this tattoo to be completely removed. So we're talking about uh, two years of this. Thank God. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. End's coming, baby. End is coming. So uh, the whack part of that is the pain, but the on track is that I'm getting shitty tattoo removed. And uh, I got to hang out with Mike DC, and it was really fun. Well, so, hanging out with Mike DC is always good. I'm sure he just uh, was singing uh, Damnation songs to you under his breath. No, no, he was, was singing. He was singing Fallout Boy songs to me. Oh really, uh, God, it was adorable. It I was take adorable. back everything I said. <laughs> He's a monster, inhuman monster. He's uh, great. He's all the right. Best. Well, I guess we'll take a break, and we'll come right back. We're going to be talking about. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about how we feel about Larry Cohen overall. We're going to talk about the two movies we picked. Uh, We're probably going to high five in the virtual space, sort of an astral, uh, a sort of uh, 2019 astral projection high five. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As always, as we do. Yeah. After the break. Okay, be right back. Yeah. 
And we are back. So today's topic is our Larry Cohen episode where we have t- taken two Larry Cohen films and we uh, pick them apart. So we picked Black Caesar and we picked uh, God Told Me To. I w- so I want to start with a question to you, Josh. Yeah. What's your what's your tell me about your your life, your experience, your familiarity with Larry Cohen? Well, uh, you know, like the way people like us normally do, I found uh, the stuff. Right. And uh, I found It's Alive, and I was like, oh, these movies are great. And then uh, it was later that I realized, like, oh, man, this guy also did Black Caesar. Like, oh, it's a very diverse palette he, he's uh, drawing from, you know. And uh, God Told Me To is definitely different than the stuff, and uh, and It's Alive. And uh, I honestly didn't really think about it until you had that meal with him that time. And uh, Eric Roberts in Chicago, thanks to uh, our friends at Cinepocalypse and uh, Josh. And, um, yeah, that's when I was like, oh, yeah, that's the dude. And then um, the next I hear is this, and that's a bummer. So, you know, I didn't really have that much of a relationship with the films of Larry Cohen. I didn't even really think about it until now. You know what I mean? So, uh, but that said, as it turns out, like, I love Q, The Winged Serpent. Like, I love these movies. Like, they're super fun, and I've seen them over and over again. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. So, I guess the, the, the short answer is, yeah, he's cool. Now, did you watch the documentary, King Cohen? I actually have not had a chance to watch it yet. Is it good? It's on Shudder right now. What's up, Shudder? Yeah. It's on Shudder. Yeah. And uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Cool. I uh, Yeah, I mean, for same like larry cohen i i pretty much only exclusively knew this stuff for a while it was just like oh yeah, yeah. the stuff and then it was only maybe like 10 years ago i saw Queen, q the winged serpent and i was like whoa okay oh, i don't man, know what that this is. is wonderful and yeah. then i realized i had seen uh it's alive and black caesar and uh hell up in harlem but i just didn't know oh yeah these, hell up in harlem was awesome yeah i didn't too. know these were the same guy uh let alone special effects or some of the later stuff um and then when you see king cohen i mean he was he was such a writer he created that show branded which i know a lot of people have never seen branded but if you're a big lebowski fan you gotta know about Branded. yeah you know about Branded. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. uh that he wow. created that he created that nypd show from back in the day uh and then you know more modern stuff too uh um, things like, uh, um, you know, Phone Booth and uh, Maniac Cop and, uh, you know, a, a few different uh, things he also wrote. Um, so I, I just think he wrote Maniac Cop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you oh, if you look so at his good. credits, you know, we're a very director focused culture, which I get. That's fine. You know, yeah. that, that is who we are. But well, also, let's keep in mind that we're talking about Bill Lustig here, who. If you're a longtime listener of Cinepunks, you know we love that man. It's true. So, it's true. But I just uh, all I'm saying is we we tend to um, not focus on the writers. Yeah, we we tend to not talk about writers at all. And then Larry Cohen was this very sort of successful writer. So he wrote um, just to give you guys a sense of it. All of his movies, he wrote uh, Condor. He wrote um, uh, Perfect Strangers, uh, of course, A Return to Samuel's Lot. What are some of the ones he wrote for other people? Okay, so Maniac Cop, Wicked Stepmother, Maniac Cop 2 and Maniac Cop 3, uh, Guilty of Sin. Amazing. Uh, uh, Body Snatchers, the 80s Body Snatchers. Right, uh, the remake. Weirdly, yeah. Uncle Sam. Remember Uncle Sam? 
Oh, yeah, I do remember yeah. Uncle Sam. That was a horror movie, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he also wrote the It's Alive remake, uh, and he wrote both Cellular and Phone Booth. And the, the funny story wow. about Phone Booth is that this is an idea he actually was kicking around way back in the day with uh, Hitchcock. Him and Hitchcock first uh, conceived of this idea of, of a guy trapped in a phone booth uh, with a with a sniper sort of keeping him trapped there. And... Um, they just couldn't get anyone to buy it. No one would buy the. <laughs> no one would buy it. And uh, what ended up happening is he kept the idea for a long time, and then finally was able to sell it. You know, way, way, way into the. I think that's in the two thousands. So, um, yeah, I just think it was that's like so two thousand ten or something. Yeah, I think yeah. that's so funny about phone booth is that what had be- been a cool idea when it was phone booths were ubiquitous becomes an idea about the last phone booth in New York, you know? <laughs> Amazing. And isn't Colin Farrell? Wasn't Colin Farrell the dude? Yeah, he's a dude, and uh, and Kiefer Sutherland oh, does the voice, and it's a whole thing. In fact, I think Keith, Kiefer Sutherland became the voice because of Larry Cohen because he only wrote the script, but then, uh, then in the first you know dailies he saw he got to see them and he's like this guy you got sucks <laughs> and so <laughs> oh, i don't think man. he suggested keeper sutherland but he like pushed them to get rid of the guy they had and then they got keeper sutherland and that movie really only works because of keeper sutherland like colin farrell's uh fine but keeper sutherland yeah. really sells it the the movie um, right anyways so just the the thing i appreciate the most though if you see king cohen is um that larry was a was a guerrilla filmmaker that he didn't pay for the rights to anything. He never got a permit. Yeah, he didn't get the appropriate permits. Yeah, or never got like a that. permit in his life. I mean, we, you know, if you see the part of King Cohen where they talk about cue the wing and serpent, you know, he he paid them to shoot in the Chrysler building, but he like barely got that, and then he didn't get any permits for all the gunfire. So it wasn't like live ammo, but it's like blanks, and they're shooting all these blanks, and so of course the casings are falling off the freaking chrysler building so they called the cops on him because it was like they thought there was a terrorist attack oh, in man. new york it's crazy Amazing. and well people have to watch this movie. when the people were down there and uh running around afraid because of all the shells he had them film the people running he put that in the movie so that's like part of the production <laughs> value of the movie and he did that all the time like you, you know we're about to talk about black caesar uh you know black caesar has this climactic scene where um fred where? williamson gets shot on the street in the middle of the street, yeah. yeah. That was and no permits. Not only yeah. no permits, but no actors. The only actors in that scene are the two that we recognize, Fred Williamson and this guy. Yeah. There's all these people like checking on Fred Williamson, interacting with him. These are not actors. These are just people that happen to be on the street when they were filming. It's crazy. It's crazy what he can get away it's with. Amazing, yeah. So, um, genius. Yeah, I, I think he's great. And uh, as Josh alluded to, I got to meet him. I'll be honest, he spent most of the brunch that we had together making fun of my food and doing weird things with his food so i I wouldn't say i got to know larry cohen or anything like that i I barely had a conversation with him but um i i still was happy even just for that little interaction because it was so memorable i I told him that the stuff like really haunted me when i was a kid and like really upset me and he was like he he was not into that that wasn't a cool thing to say i guess and then uh and then he made fun of my he was not psyched on that no he was kind of like oh and then i got you know i ordered a biscuits and gravy for brunch and he was like talk about the stuff whatever what are you eating oh that's gonna haunt me <laughs> and then he spent the rest of the brunch pretending to be afraid of my food it was it that's was amazing it was a near that is hilarious movie. i gotta say if you want to know about it um that whole thing happened because we did that episode with eric roberts if you all go over to the eric roberts is the fucking man podcast not only do we have the interview we did with eric roberts but um 
we also did a debrief. The next episode is us just talking about the experience and me and Doug go in about our brunch with Larry Cohen and Eric Roberts. It was a crazy, that whole thing was crazy. So awesome. I've, yeah, I've that ne- thing's so rad. Oh my gosh. Anyway, okay, so. What a life you've led, Liam. Oh, what a stop. life. That's oh, all I'm stop. saying. Oh, stop. So awesome. Oh, stop. Yeah, so, so Black Caesar. Liam. This is a. Yeah, why did you pick Black Caesar? Um, oh, yeah, I picked black did i pick black caesar i think i kind of picked black caesar but i also said would you rather do black caesar or the stuff and you said black caesar but i'm glad we did black caesar because i think it sort of shows more of the uh breadth of his films for me um you know larry in in king cohen is very clear about this movie uh he was contacted by sam arkoff who's a producer who uh funded a lot of Larry's movies. It was a big exploitation producer. And he just hit up Larry and said, we need, we need a black movie. Black <laughs> movies are doing, black movies are doing well, which that might sound crazy to y'all. If you aren't familiar with the history of black exploitation, but let me tell you something. You guys may have heard of a little company called uh, Warner brothers. And, uh, <laughs> round about this time, uh, late sixties, early seventies, Warner brothers had lost a lot of money and they weren't doing great. And so right. uh, they took a chance on a little movie called Superfly. And uh, Superfly made all the money. Like, it made insane amounts of money, unconscionable yeah. amounts of money. Like, no, and, and I say that not because I think Superfly is bad, but it's more like um, Superfly, much like uh, you could argue, like, Get Out is evidence that you could have a black-led horror movie and it do really well, and, and you could have a movie that's making fun of white people and white people will go see it. But Superfly just proved something that you could just have a black action movie and that would be cool. Now, that became its own genre, uh, and you could make a strong argument that Black Caesar is not even really a black exploitation movie. Um, I think... It's more of a gangster movie, period. You know what I mean? I will like- say... It doesn't have all the sure. tells of black exploitation movies as I know. Well, them. okay, I think it falls over into a black exploitation movie because it is a straight gangster movie, but it is a gangster movie in which our main gangster is motivated almost as much about getting over on the man, the man being the white man, uh, as he is by uh-huh. success. You know, right, um, right, and right, right. this is what I will say. I'm not going to argue that Larry Cohen has a race consciousness in the sense of like he's trying to tell a story of whatever. But I do think there's a critical edge to this movie that Larry Cohen adds in, which is maybe less about how black or not black the character of Black Caesar is. But his abandonment of his roots, like I think Larry, regardless of how much he knows about race, which I don't know, I don't I don't I never got the vibe that he was, you know, a black nationalist as a as a cranky white jewish guy <laughs> yeah but uh but i do think he has a class consciousness and i think that's in all of his films and right everyone sure. that i've yeah, seen yeah, at yeah. least has some aspect in it that's about how the richer monsters and how poor people are crushed and i think that what you get in this movie not too sharp but a little bit is this idea that uh that fred williamson wants to play the game that he doesn't want to change the yeah, system that he wants to participate yeah, he, not just from like the lower level, he wants to be a king. He wants a piece of the pie. So I, I, I picked. I yeah. partly thought of this movie because I think this movie was part of defining. You know, seventy two Superfly comes out, seventy three Black Caesar comes out. You know, this is a pretty quick turnaround, uh, yeah. and it's it's iconic for New York. It's iconic for a certain kind of filmmaking, and I think it set the tone uh, for a lot of these movies in the future. And it certainly kicked off in a real way, Fred Williamson sort of doing a lot more of these movies. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's up there for me in the pantheon of black exploitation movies. Like it's up there with Willie Dynamite for me. It's up there with uh, with you know, like you said, Superfly, uh, Shaft. Like I like this movie a lot. This wasn't my first time watching it, but I really do love this movie. It has been a long time since I've seen it, so I forgot large portions of it. I definitely had a positive memory of it. On rewatch, you know, I've been watching a lot more black exploitation recently. I mean, I think we should just get into yeah. like sort of the critical of the movie, but for me. I still like it a lot. It's maybe not as great as I, I really love like Penitentiary. I really I really oh, yeah. love uh, good. the spooky set by the door. I really love oh, uh, wonderful yeah, movie. the monkey yeah. hustle or uh, sweet sweet backs badass song. Even stuff that has a more of a gangster yeah. feel to it. I really like um, trouble trouble man. Um, yeah, have you yeah. seen trouble man? Uh, I think I saw it. Did, Marvin Gaye did the soundtrack, right? Yeah, yeah, Was yeah. That why yeah, I saw yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's why I saw it because I got the soundtrack, and then uh, I was like, "What is this Trouble Man business?" And yeah, even uh, maybe something like Cotton Comes to Harlem or, uh, or oh yeah, uh, Brotherhood of Death. Um, yeah, Great so uh, or JD's Revenge. Uh, anyways, these are some of the ones that really stick out to me. Uh, Black Caesar, I think, is really good, and I certainly love the Larry Cohenness of it. He has a certain style that I really appreciate. I think the problem is when I first saw it, I was less attuned to uh, gender things. And so I kind of uh, uh, accepted the movie at a light level. I accepted it less as a tragedy and more as like a, a badass. Oh, Fred Williams is badass. He's, he's a real badass. Yeah, the same yeah, way yeah, that's, yeah. He is. He's such a yeah, badass in and, that and, movie, and too. And that's the same way I, for me, like Shaft. Like, oh, Shaft's a badass. You know, I'm into this, you know, whatever. Mm. On this watch, I was struck a lot more that this movie is a fucking tragedy. That is a, it is, it is yeah, a tragic it is. film. And it was originally meant to end uh, in tragedy. I think the ending that we watch now is ambiguous as to what happens to him, especially since we know there's a sequel. But originally, you know, he was supposed uh -huh. to clearly die. It was supposed to end with his death. Uh, and, you know, in the movie, in Larry in King Cohen, Larry talks about pre-screening it with him, with Fred Williams' character clearly dead. People hated it. They were booing at the end. And so, uh, really? yeah, so, you know, he, he went from the screening. The, the, the premiere was in three days after the pre-screening. And all he did was just physically cut off the end. And then... Uh, and then that's what played. <laughs> he's like done and done. Yeah, they literally wow. just cut out the last Amazing. shot that shows that he's definitely dead and spliced the credits closer to the where he seems like he's probably dead. To the kids yeah. running away yeah. and all that yeah. stuff and like the books. Yeah, it was supposed to cut back wow. to him like definitely dead, and then they that didn't go over well. So, I mean, what he in the movie oh, he says man. so not well. He's worried there's going to be like a riot at the at the screening. He's like really worried that he screwed up on this thing. So. I thought that was. I thought that wow, was. I thought that's that was pretty hilarious. Funny. Anyways, um, Josh. So when did you first see this, and what do you th what are your thoughts about it now? Because I got to say, now I it's so entertaining. His performance is so great. I like some of the other performances, but uh, as a tragedy, it's a bit more of a downer. And and as a figure who is problematic in his own way, I think that's the point. He's supposed yeah. to be a conflicted yeah. and as negative as right? he is. Like positive. he's definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. not a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what yeah, were you yeah, thinking about? Sure. Uh, the first. Well, the first time I saw it, I was in college, and it was uh, it was a while ago, and it was one of those like 
just one of those nights when I wasn't doing anything and just watched this movie. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, like, yo, this is the kind of gangster movies I like. You know what I mean? Like, I love black exploitation movies and I love th- this kind of, like, you know. Uh, I definitely did not think of it as a tragedy going in on the first time I saw it. Watching it, rewatching it, there was definitely, like you said, there are lots of lots, large portions that I've forgotten about. But overall, I definitely really like the whole like Fred Williamson is so good in it. I and like it just the fact that it starts off with the cop and all that other stuff and like him breaking his leg and all that other stuff. Like to think that Larry Cohen did this in the seventies. I mean, I know that that's like right off the heels of civil rights and all that stuff. But also, like, to watch it in 2019 and you realize, like, yeah, this is the same struggle. This is exactly, you know, the things that people are are dealing with today. And uh, so watching in 2019, it definitely felt like it didn't feel displaced. It felt, like, relevant. And, and um, you know, it's also it's also a lot of fun. That's Right. Thing. It's a fun movie. You know what I mean? Like... Uh, I, it's an entertaining movie, and it's just fun seeing him like on the rise, and like like the whole scene in the Italian restaurant where the dudes jump in from the roof, from the ceiling part there, from like the outdoor ceiling. That part is so great, and then they're sitting there with the dude, ah, so menacing while still being like evil. You know what I mean? Uh, I really, really liked it. I really thought that uh, it was well acted, and I thought that um, it was a really good movie. I really enjoyed I, uh... it. I for those of you who haven't seen it, um, you know, uh, we start with a young kid who's a, a shoeshine boy and a, a shoeshiner. And, uh, yeah. He has a rough interaction with a police officer, and he he kind of decides that he's going to turn his his life around. And then we fast forward to modern times, uh, well, modern then, which is not now, <laughs> and uh, Fred Williamson sort of starts to get a foothold in the. Uh, criminal the sort of the mafia criminal organization through a series of like murders uh just keeps killing off people for other people uh but eventually gets to a point where he steals a a a bunch of ledgers that were written records of who was paid off by who and who was bribed by who and this gives him a certain amount of inordinate power within the the criminal underworld and suddenly uh the uh, quite obviously racist mafia is forced to deal with this this force in <laughs> in Harlem this this power source in Harlem and so there's a there's for large chunks of the movie you you're feeling it you're feeling his need for revenge and for power his ability to sort of turn the tables and take this away from the people who have sort of denied him but the movie's also clear that he is just as cruel and just as sort of demanding and has this idea of who he is. I, I think one of the most telling scenes that starts to set the scene, set the idea that this is not going to be just like a, like a glory picture is uh, when he buys. So he's working with this lawyer and he clearly, as much as he appreciates working with this lawyer, he has a certain amount of disdain for this lawyer too. Um, yeah. He's got a certain amount of disdain basically for all white people in the movie, but uh, that's fine. I'm into that. But he just decides he's going to buy this whole apartment from this lawyer, and he's going to buy all the clothes. And he tells them he gives them the money, and then he makes them all leave. They have to leave their leave clothes everything. and well, everything. Well, it turns out the lawyer employs his mom as uh, the cleaner, yeah. and he's bought this whole apartment to give it to her, and she is horrified. She is just yeah. She is not psyched horrified. at all. Now, on one hand, this is a commentary you could take as negatively on her, in that. 
you know, she's so used to being within a certain position, both because of class and race, uh, that she's uncomfortable with taking this. And that that's a tough thing. I, I don't know if I it, it's got to be hard for people to even trust, you know, a white Jewish man like Larry Cohen to even shoot something like that. Uh, but I think what's also in that scene is not just this this pain, this historic sort of racial uh, dehumanization. Uh, I think there's also a suggestion that Fred Williamson's character, uh, Tommy, he doesn't is not no, so he doesn't know what his yeah. mom wants. He thinks because right. what she wants, what he thinks she wants is less about her and her desires and more about him making sure she is now respectable or that they've taken stuff from from the white man and, and all this whatever. It's all around his revenge, which is about his ego. Uh and so yeah. like if his mom wanted that place, that might be a baller move. But he has no concern. In fact the the scene makes it really clear he hasn't even talked to her in so long. She doesn't know what he does or where he is in life that he could yeah. even do this thing. And then you get the sense that she is not happy to see him like in a way that she is like afraid of him in in a sense, you know what I mean? Like it feels as though she sees him, and then she has that meltdown, and it's like, whoa, she is not psyched to see her son, man. That is crazy. I think so. It also sets like the tone that he is just a bad, bad dude. You know what I mean? Like not a good guy. And when he steals the ledgers, the club where he goes to steal them, there's a woman there who plays, uh, who's playing piano, and he has her play while he murders yeah. all these people to sort of cover the noise a little bit. And then he just takes her. Like, he just takes her. Yeah. The, it, it's brutal. By the arm. Yeah, and just she's going to be his now. And, I, you know, I guess there would be this. Well, but this is what's brilliant about Larry Cohen, right? There's a way to do that that suggests he's just so virile. He's just such a tough. He's such a tough guy that she just whatever. But throughout the movie, Larry wants us to know that she is not necessarily a willing consort. That she is with him to some extent out of fear. Out of fear and out of, yeah, the threat. It's not like an attractive thing. Now, I'm not convinced. She's not like wooed by his money and power. And there's even a very, as he's sort of, you know, maybe a little too uh, entranced with his own authority. There's a very, it's not brutal, but an uncomfortable rape scene that um, that I very much... My first response to it was like, why does this have to be in the movie? Um, however, when when I thought back on it, I thought, well, it might it wasn't excessive. We didn't you know, it, it could have been a lot worse, especially considering the way a lot of those things were handled at the time. But I think it does function yeah. very well to remind us that, like, we might be in love with this dude and who he is. But this is not I mean, I guess this is a theme. Right. And a lot of these gangster movies is that this isn't about giving us a hero this is not i mean i would argue uh there's still a lot that's heroic about say superfly even though that's also a mixed character uh and and especially a movie Mm. like trouble man which i I love trouble man but trouble man is very much about glorifying trouble man even though he is a a bit of a misogynist as well but uh in this movie i think you have to be not paying attention to think uh, that this is part of the mythos of how great he is. I think these scenes, yeah, or that he's even a yeah, good dude. I think these scenes are. Yeah, me- you have to not be paying. Yeah, attention. I think these scenes are meant to remind us that he's not a good dude. That being said, it's a very nuanced way of telling a story. It's very, very thoughtful and very insightful. I think while still maintaining like its weird element of like excitement. Yeah, 
So it kind of speaks to the to the skill that Larry Cohen had behind the camera. Well, and I think that's sort of the his vibe, right? Like these aren't layered sort of uh, nuanced movies, but he's such a compelling storyteller that inevitably he yeah. brings something more out to what would be a very basic thing. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit uh, earlier in the episode about Cue the Winged Serpent. I mean, that's just a monster movie, right? But it becomes a movie yeah. about the Michael Moriarty character and his grudge against the city and, you know, the scene where he's sort of uh, giving the city his ransom to tell them where the big bird is. And he's just like, it's cops like him that put me away. And oh, I'm run. I did. That was a bum rap. I mean, I did the second one. But, uh, you know, that whole scene, there's so much going on there. And I think that's sort of what's yeah. what is Larry's vibe is that. The he's not writing super complicated narratives, but he brings out a lot in the story he's telling. I think Black Caesar, he brings out yeah, he brings out a lot of subtleties that tell the entire story. Yeah, exactly, and 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 works with the actors right. Like Fred Williamson um, is you know obviously the focus, but I think he gets good and, performance out of a lot of actors. Yeah, but then he and the guy from uh five on the black hand sides in there uh what's his name uh durable yep. martin and uh yeah there's so many like interesting characters in, in this movie yeah period. julius harris is in this like playing these roles uh don pedro coley there's a lot of uh cool people yeah and you know it's easy to focus on the focus i mean this is like i said the kickoff of black exploitation so it's easy to focus on the uh black characters but you know all the white guys in this that are meant to be you know gross they're they're good at that you know art lund as mckinney mm-hmm. you know he's a great villain like he really owns that in a very oh yeah way. he's great he's so yeah. good in this yeah um, it was awesome so yeah it's it's a it's a it's a dark movie i wouldn't say it's i mean w- we both have fun with it it's not fun fun it's not a mindless sort of romp it's very much like no. has some dark themes even if it's there's not a lot of subtext going on either um, I really appreciate it too. I guess I should mention this as well um, before we wrap up here. Uh, Gloria Hendry is uh, Helen, his his uh, you know less than willing love interest in the film, and uh, she is mm-hmm. unbelievable. And she ends up being the one who kind of helps with the the turnaround on him. Yeah, that whole section is so brutal. But it, it, again, he kind of has it coming, right? The 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 title is not random you know the story the story no, of no, caesar no, is sure. the guy who takes power and screws over enough people along the way that they eventually turn and then eventually the gets murdered by his peoples yeah 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 it's kind of what happens yeah. in the movie so <laughs> it's uh you know it's it's an interesting sort of artifact i think there's probably something that could be written about the actual kind of like uh, politics of the movie um but i don't particularly care about that i you know I am interested in those sorts of things, but in this particular movie, I just think it's it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's a it's a story, yeah. and it's a story that Larry is able to tell because he's unafraid to show how hard things are. He the the pain of black folks and the pain of poor folks are not things I think he's afraid of as a filmmaker at all. And it's that kind of boldness that you know that embodied the seventies, but only the directors that were brave enough to yeah. go there. You know what I mean? And and he's definitely one of them. I think it's important to point out too that um, in King Cohen, he sort of is self-effacing when it comes to making this movie. That you know, people wanted a black movie. He felt like, well, we can just make a gangster film 
and have it be about that, and that's fine. Um, he he's he's sort of uh, trying to avoid the idea that like being one of the first directors to make what would become part of the, the black exploitation tradition uh, that people sort of lift him up a little bit. And I think he's trying to avoid that. He didn't, he wasn't out here doing identity politics. He wasn't like, it's about time. There's some representation yeah. of black folks. It, it, people wanted that. That's what they wanted. <laughs> and so he, he was willing to do it. So he was just acquiescing to public yeah. demand. Yeah. But he was also not afraid. I mean, I think the movie speaks for itself, right? It's not a movie that's like about uh, the man in that way it's not you know it's there there are those black exploitation movies that are trying to whether genuinely or not play into some sort of revolutionary spirit and this movie is yeah. not that but it is a movie that's unafraid to say like yeah it's hard and you know while not all the things that fred williams's character does are justified a, a lot of them are you know and it's it's he's not he's not a yeah. monster uh you get why he's doing a certain amount of the things he does. All yeah, the yeah, things yeah. that he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Man, I can't recommend right. it highly enough. I'm a big fan. It's a good movie. Good movie. Good movie. If you like black exploitation gangster fics. <laughs> okay. So our second film is a little bit weirder and represents maybe um, Larry Cohen's turn towards less traditional fare. Right, you know? for sure. Black Caesar is only his second feature-length film and um, is very much a traditional gangster movie. God told me to. That's some, that's some fucked up shit. Some wild-ass <laughs> shit, man. What Was this your first watch on this, or did you see this before? Yeah, I had not seen this. In fact, I don't even... I think I had maybe heard of it, but it wasn't even on my radar until I saw the documentary. I saw that King Cohen documentary probably two years ago now at this point. Uh-huh. And that was the first time I was like, ooh, I should I should watch that. Um, but I hadn't had a chance to sit down with it until we watched it for this episode. Had you uh, seen it funny. before? I had, actually. I have a really weird and funny story about how I saw it. Oh, tell me about that. So a couple of years ago, before Pantera and uh, Phil Anselmo came out as like the white nationalist supremacist Nazi dude that he is, whatever, um, he used to do a festival in San Antonio, Texas called the House Core Horror Festival. And uh, I don't know if you know about my wife that she loves horror movies and heavy metal. So uh, our vacation for that year was to go to that, which Housecore Horror Festival, I think it's Phil Anselmo's label or whatever. And um, it's just a bunch of bands like Negative Approach played and Ghoul. And uh, oh, we also saw um, Goblin do a live score of Day of the, uh, Dawn of the Dead. And like that was really fun, like this kind of stuff. But then they also showed horror movies, and um, some of them were garbage. Like, they premiered the American Guinea Pig Zero movie there and, like, uh, stuff like this. But then one of the movies that they had showed was God Told Me To. And um, you know how it is during festivals, especially festivals that are both movies and music. You have to, like, plan out your time so you don't want to miss this band or this movie, so on and so forth. And uh, it was definitely written up in such that I was like, yo, I have to see this fucking movie. It sounds insane. So um, the way that the festival was held, it was at the Aztec Theater in uh, downtown, like Riverwalk, San Antonio. And then the movies were being screened in hotel rooms and the, the Hilton across the street. So, you know, we, we bought the passes so we could go to both. And uh, I just remember, like, it was the, the, the weekend was insane. Like, I had never seen King Diamond before. 
And so I saw King Diamond and they did all of uh, Abigail, like whatever record that was. And that was pretty wild. And there's a bunch of people with long sleeve King Diamond shirts. And then um, God Told Me To was one of the movies that they were screening. So I went and me and Melani were in this room and there was like nobody in there, but there were two people. One person was Phil Anselmo who uh, introed the movie. And the other person watching the movie with us was Mr. Bill Mosley, Chop Top. So um, sitting in this hotel room in San Antonio, about to watch this movie on a flat screen TV. And uh, I'll never forget because I was wearing the Drop Dead slash Evil Dead rip T-shirt where it's the Drop Dead cover, but it's the cover of Evil Dead instead of the Drop the 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 vivisected monkey or whatever that's on the t-shirt and uh, instead of drop dead across the top it said evil dead and when phil anselmo was uh introing the movie he was like wait and he pointed at my shirt and he was just like you know both drop dead are playing this weekend and we're screening the evil dead perfect t-shirt i was like yeah (laughs) pretty good and then so like it was already weird because i'm sitting in this room with these two people and melani about to watch this movie from the from the 70s, like, okay, sure, this is a strange experience. Nothing compared to actually seeing the movie, though, because when the movie starts, I was all the way in. I was like, what the... F- what is Andy Kaufman doing in here? Like, what is happening? This shit... Is that a vagina? Like, there's so many things in this movie that are so off-putting and weird, but it's so just ridiculous that it has no choice but to be fun. But that was my first experience seeing it with Bill Mosley and Phil Anselmo in a room in a hotel in San Antonio, Texas, during a heavy metal concert. So, That's so random. Yeah, I know. That's so random. Such a weird thing, right? But so, totally true. That's so, uh, so, Josh, tell the people, what is this movie about? Oh, man. There are people that are just randomly committing acts of violence, and when they get caught, they tell this one detective that God told them to do it. Yeah, okay. That's okay. it. That's what the movie's about. Crazy. I mean, I think it's been out long enough that we can sort of spoil this thing, but uh, <laughs> um, it turns out it's a movie about aliens, religion, and faith, but it's also about aliens, yeah. uh, which maybe is uh, some sort oh, of commentary man. on religion and faith. Um, it's specifically about uh, alien abductions and forced pregnancies by aliens, and uh, yeah, uh, immaculate and so, conceptions. Yep. Oh my god, what the fuck. So as this detective is investigating all these wacky crimes, you know, these sort of mass murder things, he starts to get more and more clues that there's this uh, guy who might be sort of creating this. Yeah, and, some type of um, messiah-type character. Yep. And uh, and he starts to learn more about himself and his own past. And lo and behold, not only does he sort of find this guy, and this guy definitely is the result of human-alien birth, uh, he also finds out that he is also an alien. Yeah, basically. that the reason that the dude is afraid of him is because he comes from the same type birth. Man, what a fucking weird movie, huh? It's so crazy. Well, I think. Uh, I think one of the themes of Larry Cohen, and 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 you know, maybe this is in Black Caesar. I would say this. It's hard to see this in in. in Black Seether and Help in Harlem, but it, it's it's definitely in his other movies, is taking something that seems positive and making it negative. Yeah, so, for uh, sure. This movie, it's very much faith. You know, yeah. it's, uh, I think now we're all very comfortable with the idea that faith is a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not exclusively so, but if you're like, yeah, it's a movie about a guy who's so religious he hurts people. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Seven, buddy. Yeah, I'm aware. Right. Uh, you know, I, it's I, a thing. I, I, you know, I've heard of lots of, 
mass shooters and th- this happens all the time but when larry was doing it, it was a, it was a thing you can see this in other movies like okay the stuff uh-huh. you know the yogurt is bad that's 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 you know whatever or let's say the ambulance ambulances are where you go to get help unless you're in the movie the ambulance and it's you got to get away from that ambulance but you know it's <laughs> even it's alive you know right what is more harmless than a baby well except for this baby this baby Whoa. that's crazy it's a claw yeah that shit is fucked so up. i think this is i think this is not his only theme or or you know every movie is about this but it's, but it's, it's classic larry cohen fair right here yeah yeah, and so this is sort of what this is. We're getting a, an exploration of faith. I mean, this character. So, in a way, this movie is so much a weird sci-fi exploitation movie. It's just oh my god, just saying strange those things. A sci-fi exploit- exploitation movie. What? What the hell is that? You know what I mean? Yo, that it's happens. Crazy. Man. That happens. It's wild. Go down the go down the way. I mean, this is actually we should we should mention this is a funny thing that we're doing because. To me, Larry Cohen is definitely an exploitation filmmaker, but sure. you like him, yeah, and you tend to hate exploitation, which I think is wrong, and you just haven't seen enough of it. Also, yeah, that is your opinion. Yes, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think this movie definitely counts. It's it's uh, it is very much in that sort of grindhousey style, and um, yet it takes very seriously the questions it's asking around around faith, even if it's using it as grist for. A pretty ridiculous movie, a pretty ridiculous concept. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, you know, this idea of this cop that his his he's struggling with his own identity as a person of faith. That he is so uh besides the fact that he is investigating these series of murders, we also find out he's got this young girlfriend. Yeah, she has glasses, yeah. She does have glasses, true. Uh and she thinks that he is trying to talk his wife into a divorce because they're so Catholic or whatever. But, of course, that's not it at all, that his wife is more than willing to get a divorce, but he he can't handle it. He can't be with his wife. He can't not be with his hot girlfriend, <laughs> but he can't handle the idea of a divorce. Right. That's a Catholic if I ever heard one. Uh, <laughs> my man is my man is conflicted, to it. say the least. Yes. It is. It is interesting. Here's Larry here exploring this world of Catholic. I mean, if you think about it, how many of these movies he does explore worlds that aren't really his world? No, you know? yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, but uh, it's also a very New York film. You know, it's the, very the police, gritty. It's, very it's a York. very gritty movie in the way that New York films yeah. are gritty. And uh, yeah, again, it's just it's so like you could tell the guerrilla scenes, like the scenes where he just kind of brodied his way. I was like, this is where we're shooting. And then like, OK, here's the here's the balls of this guy. There's a scene with An- Andy Kaufman. Right. Right. It's uh, actually where... incidentally, it's Andy Kaufman's first starring role in a movie. Yeah, this is Andy Kaufman. This is his premiere. He's going to be a guy dressed as a cop in the St. Paddy's Day Parade who opens fire on the mayor right. uh, and whoever else is there. Uh, so that's the thing you need a permit for. <laughs> you know what they did? They literally threw Andy Kaufman into the parade. Yeah. And under- understand. Dressed like knew a who cop. Andy Kaufman yeah. was. They knew him. They the saw cops know it's Night Andy Live. Kaufman. Yeah. yeah. And then the you know you're like well how does that work like when he starts shooting yeah they just told tell the cops like okay now we're gonna shoot this and this happened a lot in New York at this time Larry just 
has a camera and people just do what he says because he has a camera. Dude, that this happened during an actual St. Patrick's Day parade. This is the actual St. Patrick's what Day parade. He didn't just get that? a bunch of extras together. Yeah. Just every time you're watching a Larry Cohen movie, stop and remind yourself. My man has never paid for an extra in his life. Never. You know what I mean? Yeah, he just used like what was every, around literally on the street. Every extra is just people who were there. It's insane. So that's this movie as well. This is him. They're, they're at the parade. They're doing the thing. It's it's all very New York in that way. The pol- Even though like, the police station feels so like 70s New York, everything is gross. Yeah. Um. Uh, but even that's the aspects what I've come of it to that are know like as like New York you know? grime, right? Like yeah. these are the movies that like are the building blocks of our definitions of New York in the seventies, and uh, it looks awesome. Just watching it again just looked so cool to me, and it's like that's the same thing with like watching Q. Like it's a New York that doesn't exist sure. anymore. You know what I mean? And it's so grimy, and it's the New York that's I've, like closer I've to loved Blade Runner. New York and Q. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think this movie gets a, you know, there's a lot of helicopter shots in Q that Larry used over and over again, but it gives you some real city feel. This movie has less of that, but but it all really still works together. Um, and his life feels very New York, and the scenarios he faces with these people are it's all very New York. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. It's like a beast. It's Boys super record. effective, and 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 it, and I really think, yeah, that's funny, and I I really think it's worth pointing out too how much it does with like. There's like no special effects in this movie. Yeah, no, for There's sure. Like some the most effects yeah. you get is like a super hot like uh, filming with like the oranges and the yellows when they show that dude. But other than that, that's it. You don't get anything in this movie like that. And we've talked about it being crazy, and, and that happens. There's a scene where the detective is talking to a guy who murdered his whole family, and the guy's so nonchalant about it. And, yeah, you know, God just told him to, and whatever. Okay, sure, 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 sure. But. It gets crazier and crazier with various uh, big socialites, you know, Wall Street types being controlled by this alien. But also when he finally has a showdown with the alien guy, um, the alien guy has a vagina on his stomach and wants him to like impregnate him so that they can make a whole like another race and all this other stuff. Human alien hybrids. So weird. When I say it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it goes off the rails and it stays there. And then just the final scene with him going into the mental institution, he's like, well, God told me to. It's just so crazy. It's insane. But it's great. Even that idea that at that moment he has basically saved humanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's he's accomplish this thing and now he's going to be prosecuted for it you know yeah 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 yeah. it's not fair but it's very larry cohen for sure it's, uh-huh. this movie is awesome man i love this flick i really do it's so weird and it's so grimy but it's also so lofty in its intent you know what i mean it's such a great movie it uh, has really big stuff on its mind for sure you know? for sure yeah 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 yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> that's it. It's just good. Uh, yeah, I, you know, in case you couldn't tell, we very much like Larry Cohen. It's not like Larry made a million movies. We st- we have, we're at a point now we have all these directors that are doing things, you know, forever. 
And so I guess if you compare his filmography to someone who's made 60 movies or something, then it's you know, not it's as impressive, I guess, but it's. But my man did a lot without a lot of support, without a lot of money. And the movies he made leave an impression, you know, that's the stuff is going to matter to people for a long time. You know, Cue the Winged Serpent, you know, even some of his smaller films still had an impact. Uh, and then the movies that he produced and wrote also were very important. Um, so I just I have a lot of respect for him uh, and his work. Uh, but, you know, I was glad I finally got a chance to watch this. It's so crazy. It's so weird. And it really represents how, you know, Larry was kind of like a uh, a workhorse director, but he brought crazy storytelling to his movies. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely an iconoclastic uh, individual, for sure. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Uh, rest in peace. Anything else you want to say about this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, rest in peace, Larry Cohen. If for some reason you are unfamiliar with Larry Cohen, go go watch some of this stuff. Maybe you've seen, maybe like us, you've definitely seen the stuff, but there's other things you need yeah, to see. Yeah, definitely check out. out the breadth of his production, of the stuff that he's made, because there's so much, and it's so broad. So do yourself that favor. If you liked the stuff, which you probably did if you're listening to this, definitely try his other movies. Yeah. And there's still ones I want to see. Like, I've never seen Bone, his first movie. Mm. I've never seen uh, Special Effects um, or, uh, oh, what's the other one? Um, Original Gangsters. Oh, right. Yeah. I love that he did that Original Gangsters. It's really funny, yeah. Um, Yeah, so there's a few things he's done that I haven't had a chance to see, so... Uh, I'm still going to try to catch some more stuff. So, so that's our go. Larry Cohen episode for now. We'll come back to more more of his things. Josh, where where should people find us on the internet? Uh, you can find us at, at Cinepunks on the Twitters and on the Instagrams as well. It's at C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And uh, Liam is Liam Rules at Liam Rules on Twitter. And I'm the Pokey Fat Boy at Pokey Fat Boy on Twitter. So you can find us there and follow us along and tell us what you think. Uh, any and all feedback is appreciated, of course. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Yeah, go on the uh, if you use iTunes, rate us there. Actually, rate, rate, review, anywhere, subscribe. You, you yes. Listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. the currency anywhere by you're which. listening. Yeah, definitely subscribe. Definitely give us a rating. Those things, unfortunately, do count for something. Um, <laughs> check out. Uh, we just finished up a drop for my T-shirt uh company rough cut we have a new one coming soon that's going to be really great yeah probably by the time this episode drops it'll be out so exciting uh, so check that out um and yeah thanks to everyone and please do me a favor uh do do the whole whole team a favor check out some of the other podcasts on the network uh we we, we recommend them all to you uh and they could use your support your attention and your recommendation to your friends. So yeah, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Also, uh, also this weekend, if you're in Philadelphia, hopefully this episode will be up by then. Uh, I am playing cross keys are playing the first Unitarian church on Saturday with kill Verona and breaking Pangea. And then we're also playing uh, Ort leaves on Sunday with uh, the same bands, which was a breast cancer benefit, I believe. So uh, that show sold out real quickly. But uh, if you're at any of these shows this weekend and just come up and say hi to me, I'm really approachable. And uh, yeah, your eyes are not playing tricks on you. I am the Cinepunks guy as well. It's hard for people to recognize you now that you are so svelte and sexy. Well, you know, it's just follow my voice, as they say. Follow my voice. <laughs> <laughs>
But uh, yeah, that's it. Episode 95 is done. Thank you to everybody for listening. And we will catch you later on down the road. Okay, see ya. Smoke bomb.